Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Jesus' parable about the wicked tenants. So Scott, we've got uh, another one of our conversations about the um, Jesus's parables today for our listeners. Uh, what did it? What are we talking about? Which parable? And um, who is it that we have the pleasure of getting to speak with today? Well, we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation today with Steve Talley, who's a pastor at the far northern top of the United States, and. Um, and we'll be discussing the meaning of the parable, et cetera. But let, let me uh, let me set the context. Our cohort at Northern Seminary is a cohort that focuses uh, on education, et cetera. But also, we want to have an emphasis on writing. So part of our uh, challenge this year is to work on the uh, parables of Jesus And I gave the big idea, uh, each of the parables is to be examined through this idea. The idea is that Jesus invites us in each of his parables to imagine a world if it looked like this parable. So we are caught up in his kingdom vision in each parable. Some of them are short. Some of them, like the one we're looking at today, are more complex. They're longer But each of the parables is an imaginative uh, construction by Jesus trying to get his listeners and for us readers today to think of the kingdom of God in a new way, to think of our world in light of the kingdom of God, to think of our church, to think of our context in light of these episodes uh, that he gives in what we call parables. So the parable today is called the parable of the tenants and uh, sometimes called the wicked tenants. And, and it is, um, it's a, a powerful uh, uh, parable. Some people think it's easier to interpret and others don't. So I'm going to uh, talk with Steve about the meaning of this parable. And I'd like Steve to get a, just give us a brief introduction of who you are and where you're pastoring. And then I want you to um, maybe say, uh, just a brief word about the big idea at work in this parable, and then we'll break it down into some interpretive issues. I'm Steve Talley. I pastor in Opal, South Dakota, which is uh, 90 miles north of Rapid City, which really is in the middle of nowhere. It's a ranch community. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> um, Steve. It's it may be nowhere according to some, but it's right in the heart. It's like uh, it's like the imagined world of. Uh, Garrison Keeler, or Kent Harriff, or Gilead in Marilyn Robinson's novels. It's it it's 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 the center of the world for some people, uh, but I've been through some of that area. It it can be beautiful and it can be bleak, and you can get some pretty severe winters and uh, some pretty beautiful summers. Yes, and Steve, as you look at this parable. Uh, I'm wondering what you think the big idea of the parable, you know, what what's the big theme that Jesus wants us to see here? I, th- I think he wants us to see responsibility intermixed with the grace of God, intermixed with how much God has done to make us a people, even though we weren't a people. And, and 
as that, we each have a responsibility in ministry. Um, we're we're set aside to be a kingdom of priests, and it, it's not merely a salvation to save one one's own hind ends, so to speak, but but a a, a teaching that th- this is a great responsibility, and in that responsibility, sometimes we can get myopic, uh, maybe blinded to things. And in the context, I think Jesus is teaching to some people who, who that's happened to. And as a result of that, they've missed the kingdom appearing in their midst. And uh, how, how do we lead as, as Christians and not get blinded in our own thinking? How do we always listen to what Jesus has to say? And how do we represent God in everything we do and everything we think uh, throughout our life? Steve, how do you, where do you think you see, and I agree with you here, so, but where do you, where do you see this idea of the importance of responsibility? What happens is this parable that just forces this issue right to the front. So maybe there, you could just summarize a bit of the parable. There'll be some people who, who are listening who are not quite sure what this parable is about. Sure. Um, the, the parables, he's, he's telling a story about a landowner who, who plants a vineyard. And, and the idea is that this vineyard is set up. Everything is done that could be done. It should be a perfectly working vineyard with absolutely no reason why. It shouldn't produce a crop, shouldn't produce fruit, shouldn't produce revenue. And uh, he, he rents it to these vine growers who, I... I I guess, for lack of a better word, get a, a bit selfish in, in their thinking. Uh, they refuse to pay the landowner. They refuse to, to turn over any sort of crop or any sort of produce to them. And after several warnings, uh, which turned from the landowner, uh, the, the vineyard renters turn violent and even end up killing the son, who, who is a, a last attempt maybe to... Uh, wake up the the vine grower to to what's uh, going on here uh yeah and so, Jesus... so 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 what's what's happening is we got a vineyard we got a distant le- uh, owner of the vineyard who sends yes. who sends embassies to collect his revenue and these people won't pay it and, and this so in the parable these people uh they they come off as as selfish, as greedy, as um, irresponsible, and you know, exploiting the advantage they have because the landowner's so far away, he can only send an embassy. He can't send enough that really hurts him, or maybe he only sends a person. And so, in the end, he sends the son. And of course, this evokes uh, Christ. So, the parable, Steve, would you say the parable, in a sense? is about the history of Israel's response to its responsibility in the world? Oh, yeah, I would definitely say yeah. that, and, and even more immediate to uh, what the chief priests and the elders are doing in response to Jesus. Yeah, so it's not just uh, Jews are to blame. This is, it is not a parable that's working like that, but it is really focused upon leaders who are false leaders. It reminds me of Ezekiel 34. It reminds me of the critique of kings uh, in the Old Testament and even at times prophets who are false prophets. So we have these um, 
vineyard workers, managers who have been paid and get to take advantage of the growth of the vines and the grapes, uh, who are not acting responsibly with, with their chores. And so it becomes kind of a, a parable of Israel's story where it has not responded as God had called it to become a, a light to the nations. So God sends his son in, in Christian theology, in the parable, the king sends his son because surely they'll listen to him and they kill him. And this then becomes a parable of Jesus as well. Is that, is that how you would read it? Oh, it, most definitely. Yeah. Um, Steve, theologically, um, we, we've got here a parable that tends, I think, to retell the Bible story. That's nice. But you and I, as Christians, uh, read these parables, and we want to we want to live these parables. We want to embody these. We want to enter into these stories, so that it becomes a story of Jesus to us. Um, but at the same time, as teachers in the church, as preachers, pastors, etc., pastoring people, we want them to hear this parable, and we want them to hear the warning. So, what are what are some of the ideas you have about this parable? for our world today and what, what we're supposed to be hearing? I think we're supposed to be hearing that election into the kingdom isn't a once and done thing. I mean, I know everybody's context is different and, and everybody's life is different, but it really seems that the church is struggling from this idea that, that we've been, we've been saved. And so now we're good. And, uh, it misses the vocation of kingdom. It misses the idea that we have a responsibility as, as God's ambassadors, emissaries. Uh, it, it really opens the door to apathy or complacency. And I think that this, this parable is a strong warning against that. Um, it's, it's a warning that, that Jesus is, is giving us a responsibility. And while we've, you know, it's not a workspace responsibility. Uh, the landowner has done all the work for us. He's done everything. It, it's set up. It's ready to go. Yet he's called us to that vineyard. And, and we do have a responsibility to produce fruit. And that's a, a consistent teaching through the New Testament, the fruitfulness of, of the believer. Yeah, I was, I was reading this the other day in Colossians chapter 1, uh, that Paul has heard about the, the how the gospel is being fruitful everywhere. And Steve, this is interesting that you bring up even the idea of election. The people of God who have experienced the redemption of God uh, are in a vineyard that God has created and with vines that God has planted and with fruit that grows. And all they have to do is sort of tend to these grapevines. And, and there is work for vintners uh, to take care of everything. And all, all they're being asked to do is to benefit from it. You know, they're going to get their own grape juice and wine. And, yep. you know, their, their grapes that they can eat just as grapes. But they're also supposed to pay back and, and give revenue. So this sort of becomes a parable about the impact of the grace of God in our lives, doesn't it? It's about that grace, as John Barclay has taught, and, and he's been on uh, the Kingdom Roots podcast before, that grace is not only a gift, 
but it is a gift that seals a relationship, a covenant relationship with the giver and the person who receives the gift. And therefore, the one who has received the gift becomes obligated to the giver and also is expected to respond by by reciprocating, by giving back. So in this parable, what do you think uh, the the people are supposed to give back, and how would we say this is supposed to look in the Christian life today? Uh, is that too much? Uh, how do we give back that? Yeah, what is what what you know? Let's just say that a gift in the ancient world uh, entailed an obligation. So if I give someone sure. something, they they have an <laughs> obligation to me, and part of that obligation is to reciprocate. What do you sure. think is our reciprocation today to the grace of God in our lives? How are we to reciprocate? Well, I, I think it starts with with love. I think it starts with forgiveness. I think it starts with with this idea that uh, just as God has, has set up everything for us to do, uh, that fruit that, that we grow can impact other people. Um what is a he who forgives much loves much type of thinking? Uh, how does that reshape us? Does, it was God patient with us? Was He long suffering with us? Well, yeah. Then we we should probably be a little bit more patient with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that look mm-hmm. in the church? I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that has been beneficial for me at Northern. If if you guys don't mind me giving a little plug here, um, growing up in the in the Midwest as or spiritually growing up in the Midwest, we see a lot of uh, sectarianism. Um, we have the right teaching. These guys don't have the right teaching type of thing. And all all too common, the word heretic is thrown out for no reason. Um, I mean, I'm not saying there's never a reason for that word to be thrown out, but as common as it is thrown out, I, I think that needs to stop. Uh, we've quit listening to each other as Christians, and we've just kind of demanded an I'm right, everybody else is wrong attitude. And the irony of that is there is absolutely no grace in that. There's no forgiveness in that. There's no listening in that. There's no concern, care. And the amount of pride that's in that is ridiculous. Um, Steve, the other we, day I was looking at a blog post, and some yeah. guy, I didn't know who he was, was saying, um, it looks like, he says, the conversation has gone in such a way today that it's it's probably pretty clear that Tom Wright is not a heretic. But he's got some things that are wrong about him, you know, and I'm going, oh, sure. brother. When Tom, you know, I, I've often said that when Tom Wright is our problem, we've got a problem. When Tom Wright's a heretic, <laughs> we're, we got bad, bad judges uh, making uh, statements. Well, then the, the writer of the blog post moves to Jimmy Dunn, and he starts examining whether Jimmy Dunn is a heretic. And oh, the first thing I'm, I'm sitting here going, you know, Tom Wright is a friend of mine, and Jimmy Dunn was my teacher. I know these mm-hmm. people pretty well, and I would never use the word heretic with them, um, partly because they're so, they're so careful about their own exegesis. But the other side to me was, who is this young person who decides to weigh in publicly on uh, he's now approved Tom Wright and 
Rather um, carefully but cautiously, he approved Jimmy Dunn. And I got to thinking about this. And I learned from some of the best people in the world about what a heretic is. Harold O.J. Brown wrote a book called Heresies. And he was a colleague of mine. And we had conversations about this. And Archbishop Callistus Ware, who is the preeminent uh, Eastern Orthodox theologian today. And here's the point. A heretic is someone who has been confronted by proper church authorities. It's never, I don't make the decision as an individual if someone's a heretic. This is a church decision. And not only that, the person who is being evaluated has to be able to demonstrate that they understand what you're saying and what the church teaches. They have to clarify what they believe in light of that, and they have to denounce what the church is teaching and affirm what they're saying in the context of people pleading with them to change their mind. And only then does a church council render the decision that someone is a heretic. So so here we are in a world where, and uh, you bring this up, this is, this is worthy of, of our being careful because you're right, Steve. We flip this word heretic around as if we are the judges and we simply become the person that Jesus says don't judge, that his brother James says we are not to be the judge. All of a sudden we're running around judging who is to be approved and who is not. We make our short lists of qualified people and we're not looking at this in terms of the big church, nor are we looking at this in the fact that God loves these people and they're, and they're Christians and we ought to just jump off their case and start being a little bit more humble about our own teaching. And and that's right. And, and that's exactly what's happened so often in uh, in Christian circles today. Young people who learn a little bit of theology all of a sudden decide they can make judgments on who's to be approved or not. And it hurts the church and um, it spoils our witness at times. And it makes us not open to hear. Yeah. Uh, there's an arrogance there of, of I can't be wrong the minute yeah. I start using that word. And. And, and I think God says some pretty harsh things about pride and arrogance, and we yeah. need to respect what God says. Fascinating yeah, that, thing to me is you look at the context and the response after the chief priests and, and Pharisees and religious council hear their indictment in, in the story in Jesus's parable. Their reaction is anger. You know, they're trying to arrest him and, you know, they they accuse him of blasphemy and, and being a heretic in, in their context. And, you know, it's, it's just fascinating that that whole line about the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes that it's, um, you know, it's this rejection and this problem of not accepting Jesus that that totally sets us off all in a, a very terrible path to go down. You know, yeah, and that's right. In this parable, in this parable, the leaders are the ones who get uh, pushed by Jesus. And the leader's response to the clarification in the parable, they see right away. This is about us. And their response is not, well, maybe God wants us to hear something. Their response is, let's kill the guy. And yeah. I have found this so often that when leaders are pushed, what they want to do, and, and I see this. Uh, in certain circles in in the United States today, is that when a leader gets pushed, 
um, they gather quietly behind closed doors and they see if they can silence that other person. Uh, they don't seem to be capable at times of hearing the truth of what someone else is saying because it differs from them. And their response is, let's silence that person. Silencing is a form of crucifixion mm -hmm. in this pair. You're trying to keep that voice from being said. And, you know, I know, I know people who've lost their jobs because they critiqued someone, a theologian, let's say. They critique a theologian, and that theologian never says a word publicly, never contacts the person privately, but instead goes to the president or the denominational authorities and tries to get that person fired from their job. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's uh, a perfect analogy to what Jesus is doing in this parable. He is holding up the corrupted leaders for all to see, and their response is, let's get rid of this guy. So when I, let me say this. When we want to silence somebody else's voice, when we want to get rid of someone, is a great opportunity. That could be a sacrament for us to say, you know, maybe I'm the one who should be listening closer here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder mm -hmm. how many church splits and, uh, you know, even even down to the theological issue and, and disagreeing on, you know, theological propositions or whatever it may be that, that you suggest. I wonder how much of that story would be different if we would have just done a better job of watching each other's feet, you know, and, and like yeah. actually doing that. Cause I think that's what the vision of accepting Jesus and, and, you know, what he's the responsibility, like Steve said, that what he's calling us to is listen, it, you know, it comes down to, to following Jesus and, and, and to, to listen to somebody, to want to not just, maybe promote their voice, but hear their voice. You know, I don't know. Jesus washed feet. And I think that's important for us to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a yeah. great point, Chaz. Cool. Steve, what, I don't know, what have you personally been challenged by, I guess, in the parable? Um, this is kind of an embarrassing thing to say, because I'm a big one on context, but in studying this parable, it, it kind of led me to, to preach through the parables. And one of the one of the things that I've noticed that, unfortunately, I didn't notice before, is how every every parable is not a standalone thing, and that's how they're taught. Unfortunately, a lot of times mm -hmm. in the church, they are in a context, they are in a story. This is part of an ongoing, bigger story, and I think we need to open our eyes to see that, to see what it means. Um, and, and the other thing that um, I'm very thankful to Klein Snodgrass for is the uh, pointing out that these these are analogies; they are not allegories. And I think we've we've lost some some meaning in trying to allegorize all of these uh, parables. Uh, those are two maybe not theological things, but maybe more hermeneutical things that I'm pretty thankful for in studying this. Uh, Steve, so you did. You did a series at your church on the parables of Jesus? Oh, I'm in the middle of it, yeah. I'm just getting ready to finish Matthew. And I'm just started with Matthew, and then I'm going through Luke. Whatever's not covered in Matthew, and then the few remaining that are in Mark, I'll do that. So, Very good. Uh, yeah. It's been yeah. good? It's been excellent. And yeah. uh, 
Um, theologically, I would say something I didn't notice in Matthew before that this parable study has, has changed my thinking is I noticed that in Matthew's presentation of, of what has happened with Jesus and how we apply that to our lives, Matthew has one eye always on Jesus and the kingdom. What does this mean for today? And he's got one eye on on the end, one eye on Jesus's return. And so everything is this realization that, just like this, this says, yes, the landowner is gone, but there is a time when the landowner is coming back or when the landowner is going to hold us accountable for the fruit or, or whatever you, what, however you want to present that. And so, you know, this idea of how do we have an eschatological viewpoint without letting end times overwhelm us? How do we be in the here and now and be present in the kingdom and yet expectatious of a returning king. And I think that idea of what we do with the kingdom now makes that expectation of the king a glorious thing and not a thing of judgment. But for those who are irresponsible, as much as we don't like to think about judgment, that that's a real reality that Matthew is trying to, to, to warn us about. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, Steve, I think you're right. And this is, you are so, it is so true that we frequently read the parables as completely separable, separate from their context stories. We just take them out and we take them on their own. But this, even this parable of the, of the tenants, the wicked tenants, is in the context of Jesus confronting the leaders in Jerusalem in the last week. So it's, uh -huh. it's ramped up to the highest degree because we know the story well enough that it was this kind of engagement with leaders, this sort of parable where Jesus was saying, I want you to imagine a world like this. And what he's saying is, I want you to imagine a world where you guys are going to experience judgment because of the way you have treated the people of God and mismanaged your role as leaders. And uh, we know that this is going to lead to his crucifixion and, and ultimately to his resurrection. So in the context, this parable this parable plays a pretty significant role. So I, I really like that, uh, uh, that, that you, you raised that point because there is a temptation for many of us to separate parables from their context and just make them independent stories like Aesop's fables. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, um, in getting people, uh, let's say, to think about parables as you're preaching parables, uh, you've emphasized that we need to learn to read these things in context, and we need to learn to read these things theologically in light of what Jesus is saying. Do you have any other suggestions for people on on reading parables, on interpreting them, on listening to them better? Uh, anything from your preaching that, that has stood up for you say, people, this is what I want you to remember when you read a parable? Um. Well, when I'm teaching, I, I try to teach them how to read them. Um, and so, like I said, the context is, is super important. important. And, and sometimes, I guess, realizing that that context is not just the verse before, but mm -hmm. like in this case, it seems like the context starts in chapter 18 for this parable, mm -hmm. um, or maybe even chapter 1, truthfully. But, but looking at this as a story um, is super, super important. Um, these mm -hmm. aren't just... These aren't lines of, of script that we just take one out and use it however we want. This is a story uh, about the Son of God coming in to fulfill 
a very important role in in history. Uh, if you want to say salvation history, or if you want to say Jewish history, it, I, I think they're one and the same. Uh, but in in that context, I think understanding some of the things that Jesus has done, each one of those things that Jesus has done is a tag to something that's happened. That, um, the prophets have said this is going to happen. Uh, stories in Samuel, stories in Jeremiah, stories in Isaiah have all pointed to these things. And Jesus is checking each one of these off the list just to live in his life, fulfilling the kingdom of God. And so I think it's helpful to go back and say, you see those references in your Bible, uh, Jeremiah 7 or Isaiah 62 or Zechariah 9. Go back and look and see what, what's happening in that context and see mm-hmm. what because these people are going to recognize that. The, the people who, especially these Jewish leaders, are going to be biblically informed people. They're gonna, they should have seen that. And I think the challenge here is they did see it, but they didn't want to accept it. And, and mm-hmm. maybe that's our theological point is sometimes Jesus is, t- is telling us things that maybe go against what we've heard. Maybe they go against what we've grown up with. Do we, do we hold the thing that we've grown up with? Or do we, or do we yeah. have these conversations that are so difficult sometimes, but they are so necessary? How am I really fulfilling what Jesus wanted me to, to do? Yeah, that's good. That's really good, Steve. Uh, good point to end on here with uh, all of us uh, learning to listen to the stories of Jesus better, so that we uh, we will be, uh, we will have our worldview challenged by Jesus. And I think this is exactly what his parables intend to do. They want us to imagine a world that is unlike the world in which we live. And they ask us to imagine a world into which we can live if we accept Jesus and his vision for this world. And as a result, uh, we become inviters of others into this uh, kingdom imagination that Jesus uh, lays out for us in the parables. So, Steve, I want to thank you. And I really appreciate you talking about how in your church, you're talking about parables. This has been one of the great things of our cohort experience is that we, uh, we I find so many of the students uh, taking what is happening in the classes and what they're studying and maybe even the papers they're working on. The next thing you know, there's a sermon series going on. I know uh, Deacon Godsey, one of our students, did a series on Philemon because of something that happened in class. So uh, that's what we, that's what really, that's what we're trying to do at Northern is to try to awaken people to, uh, new, uh, ideas and, um, deeper insights for what can happen in local church ministry. So, so Steve, thanks for joining us today. And I know Chaz is the person who always closes us off at the end of the day. So I'll wrap this up. Thanks again for coming, Steve. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to you, our listeners, for how you faithfully listen and, and join in on our conversation. We're, we're so grateful for you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today and this imagined world of the tenants uh, and Jesus' parable that he has talked about. So um, thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 